Well, good morning. It's a rich blessing to be with you today. I love the opportunity to preach to this body of believers. You're a wonderful group of believers, and it feels like home. You know, this is our home away from home for Paula and I, and uh, so thankful. For those of you who were hoping to hear Rob Wheeler speak today, um, you're sort of have that uh, hope fulfilled. Um, I stepped into a time warp. Last night I was 35 years old and I woke up this morning, I'm 62, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Your church slogan is changed lives, changing lives. And as I thought about that and what I would like to share with you over the next three weeks, I thought a series that uh, we could look into together would be changed minds, changed lives. You see, what God does in working in us is he changes our lives by changing our thought processes. So often when we look at our behaviors, we think, hey, I can change my behavior by just trying real hard, and we take an outside-in approach to how we change, and that fails every time. We have limited success, short-term success, but it never lasts. What God wants us to see is the importance of surrendering those sinful thought processes that lead us into sin over to him. I like to compare it to an iceberg. When we think of an iceberg, often what we see is just what's on the surface. We see that part that sticks above the water. And we think, wow, that's massive. But what happens if you shave off just what is above water, it pushes right back up. You have more iceberg, lots more well beneath. And that's kind of the way I view our behaviors and our beliefs. We can take an iceberg view of our behavior and we can say, hey, if I could just shave off that behavior, everything's good. But if we don't address the sinful thought processes and beliefs that lie underneath those behaviors, we will never change. We will just replace one bad behavior with another and another and another. And so what God does is he, he works on the mind. He works to transform our minds, to change our minds, so that in that way, our behaviors can change. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at just the first two verses. And what we're going to see as we begin our study together on this changed life that comes from a changed mind is this. We need to have the right outlook on how we're to live. And that begins with this first verse. And by the way, on the, on the backs of your outlines, um, I do something I do in my church. I put an outline there for you, and there are blanks in there, and the colored words correspond to the words that go in the blank. Now, um, I'm fully aware that in my church, what people often do is try to guess what the next blank is going to be, and I will find bulletins all over the church where there is one word scratched out and another one written over it. If that's your thing, have at it. But what we're going to do is look at this text, and we're going to draw some insights from it. So first of all, we need to remember that the right outlook on how we're to live is essential. And we gain that right outlook by first of all responding to what God has done for us with gratitude. Look at this first verse, and notice the Word of God says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. 
Now, what Paul is doing is looking back on 11 chapters in the book of Romans where he has shared with us the wonderful salvation that God gives us by his grace. And he really addresses that tension that exists between an outside-in approach and an inside-out approach. If you are trying to change yourself by the law, that is an outside-in approach. But if you respond to God's grace and by faith receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God promises to change you from the inside out. And so what Paul is saying to us here in this first verse is crucial. I need to look at what God has done. That's what the word therefore points us back to. And I need to rejoice in the salvation that God has given me, the deliverance from sin, the opportunity to not be bound by the law and by sin, and I need to surrender to God in response. That's really the idea that's being presented in this text. When the Word of God talks about the mercies of God, He's talking about the rich mercy that God gives us in saving us and opening the way for us to experience a right relationship with Him. God has done so much. And I don't know about you, but with me, I'm motivated by gratitude. If somebody expects something from me and I'm not feeling grateful, I might half-heartedly do something in response and say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But man, when I feel grateful to somebody, when I realize that someone has done something great for me, something wonderful, something generous, something merciful, that elicits in me a response that says, well, I'm I'm going to go to any length to do what this person wants me to do. That's really what Paul is driving at in this text. He's telling us that the right response for us to God is to feel grateful, but let that gratitude do something in us. And that's what we come to next as we work through this passage. We find that if we're really living in gratitude, we are going to refuse to live selfishly. We're going to want to live sacrificially. Look at what the text goes on to say. After he talks about this appeal to respond to God by the mercies of God, This is what he calls us to do. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now what does that mean when the Word of God talks about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice? When we look into the Word of God and we see this word present, we find it several times in the Scripture. The word expresses the idea of offering. It's the language of worship. It was found throughout the Old Testament Greek version, the Septuagint, and it often referred to bringing a sacrifice and laying it before God. So what the Word of God is telling us to do in this text is to take an outlook on our bodies, that is, not just this tent of the flesh, but everything about us. And um, as a matter of fact, in, in the original language, the idea of the body expands beyond just the idea of this material house for the soul. It goes to our possessions, it goes to everything that, that, that we have, everything that is a part of us within our sphere of influence. That's the idea of a body. And so what the Word of God is saying is we are to take that body and in a worshipful manner, we are to 
present that to God, to give it over to him. Now, when we look in the Old Testament, what do we see was the attitude of the person who would sacrifice. When a person would sacrifice, number one, they would bring the sacrifice with the full recognition, this belongs to God. This is not mine, this is God's. So I lay it before him to lift up his name, to praise him, to express worship to God. That's what God wants us to do with our bodies, to present it before him worshipfully, sacrificially, surrendering everything that we have to God. That's what we're being called to do in this text. The scripture reminds us that when we give our bodies to God, when we present our bodies to God, we are no longer living for sin. In fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says the following. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, your members to God as instruments of righteousness. There's that word present again earlier in the book of Romans, and it's sharing that same concept. All of us have options. I can either surrender my body to sin and use my members as members of unrighteousness, or I can surrender it to God and I can present it to him as a member of righteousness. God is calling us in response to his grace and our salvation to respond with righteousness. Something else about this passage. Notice the description of this living sacrifice. The last part of that first verse shares this with us. Holy and acceptable to God. This idea that is being expressed in this text is essential. You see, the word living in the original language of the Greek can mean not just the idea of being alive, but it can also carry with it the idea of a healthy sacrifice. So when we look in this text and we see that our bodies are to be living sacrifices offered to God, what the Word of God is calling us to is to, first of all, see it as holy. Holy means dedicated to God, set apart for God. That's how we're to view our bodies. My body is set apart for God, but then acceptable to God. Go into the Old Testament and many of the minor prophets and major prophets would talk about what made a sacrifice acceptable to God. And one prophet in particular, the prophet Malachi, talked about something that people were doing in his time and that, frankly, as a pastor I see people doing today, and that is, as we sacrifice to God, we give him the leftovers. We give him the things that are not really that important to us that we can spare with no cost or no problem, and we give them over to God. Malachi said this, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? 
says the Lord of hosts. Now this is a powerful passage. Do you catch what was going on in Malachi? People were bringing sacrifices that were crippled, lame, had no marketable value. And they would say to God, hey, I'm presenting my offering here. And God would look and say, would your governor receive that as a tax payment? Let's put it on our level. Would your employer accept the kind of commitment that we demonstrate in church? Would anyone accept your leftovers? Would you want that in a relationship where the person that you're involved in the relationship with says, I'll give you what I have left, but don't expect me to go out of my way. God wants us to present our bodies to him, thinking of him first, lifting him up, following him, loving him. Then look at the final phrase of this passage, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what we find here is right living is the highest form of worshiping God. When we look at this passage and it tells us that this is our spiritual worship, this is rendered in a different way in some translations. For instance, the King James Bible renders this, this is your reasonable service. It carries with it the idea that this is a logical response in light of what God has done. And what it's saying to us is this, when I really want to worship God, I will worship God by surrendering to him and not just going through the outward motions of worship. You know, it's so easy for us to mail it in when it comes to worship, isn't it? We can walk into service, we can stand when we're supposed to stand, we can sit when we're supposed to sit. I don't know about you, but sometimes even in singing, I'm on automatic pilot. I'm mouthing the words, but my mind is a million miles away. I'm not focusing on what I'm saying. I'm just going through the motions of worship. What God is calling us to in this text is to surrender to him and from the inside out, worship God. And we will worship God all week long by our behavior of surrendering to him. And that is the highest form of worship. Then when we come together in what we normally think of as worship, we will come together with meaning, a depth of meaning that comes from the heart. This is how God wants us as his people to have changed lives. But then the text goes on and we come to the second verse. And as we come to the second verse, we find that the word of God calls for renewed minds that are transformed by God's power. And the second verse begins with this roadblock to a renewed mind. And that roadblock is conformity to the pattern of this world. Look at what the scripture says in verse two, do not be conformed to this world. Now, what does the scripture mean by that? If I'm to surrender my body to Christ, how do I pull that off? How do I live that out in a practical way? First way I do that is to not do something. And the idea is I am not to yield, to submit to 
the pressure that the world around me tries to enforce on me to live with its outlook rather than God's outlook. Do you realize that this world system, and by world system what I mean is this, a system that stands opposed to God, a system that does not think in the same direction that God is, It is opposed to him. As a matter of fact, John defines this world system for us in his epistle when he says this, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. This world is operated by greed and pride and lust. And what it seeks to do is conform us into its image. As believers, we have two options. We pursue the image of Christ and being conformed to the image of Christ, or we allow the image of this world to press us into its mold. As a matter of fact, that's what the word conform means in the original language. It means to press something into a mold. Think of clay. When you're a little kid, you have those Play-Doh sets, right? And you have those little things that you can press the Play-Doh into, and you pull the Play-Doh out, and lo and behold, there's whatever it was you pressed it into, right? This is what the world wants to do with us, and it does that with our thinking. Systematically, We are programmed into thinking like the world. And I don't know about you, but man, I see this in media. I hear it in music. I see it all over. This world view that stands opposed to God and opposed to spiritual things and righteous things, it's desensitizing us to sin and it's pressing us toward pursuit of a life that is apart from God. The scripture calls us to not experience that. Now what's interesting about this text is this. The word conformity is expressing to us outside action. In other words, we aren't conforming ourselves to the world. What's happening is the world is conforming us. There is a strategy by the evil one to turn us away from God. It began at Eden and it progresses throughout Scripture and it is alive and well today. Now as a believer, we can yield to that conformity. We'll either do that passively by just incrementally adopting the worldview of the world around us or we'll do it with full vigor and vim, turning our back on God and embracing what the world tells us is good and right. We go along to get along. God is telling us not to do that. In fact, Peter says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, 
you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is how God wants us to fight that conformity, to change our minds about what the world would program into our minds. But then the second verse goes on. After it talks about not being conformed to this world, it talks about the real change in thinking that comes from God's transformation process. Look at the next statement, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is such an exciting part of the passage. When God changes us, God never takes an outside-in approach. He takes an inside-out. This word transformed, it's a word that you would know from your biology class. The Greek word we took almost letter for letter into science, and it's the word metamorphosis. You know what it means? To change from the inside out. Now, picture this with me. Paula and I had some parsley on our deck. And monarch butterflies laid eggs that turned into caterpillars, decimated our parsley. But it was worth it. We saw the most beautiful caterpillars. They were about that long. They were green with black stripes. And we even gave some to our worship minister's kids because they wanted to see them form the chrysalis and see the butterfly come out. And they did, and it was wonderful. But here's the thing. Metamorphosis took place that transformed that caterpillar into a butterfly. Now, had I taken that caterpillar and I said, you know what, I'm going to make you a butterfly. I'm going to glue wings on your back and I'm gonna tape some legs on your stomach, and then I'm going to take you and release you to be free as a butterfly. What's gonna happen? Splat, right? You can't change a caterpillar from the outside in. They need to form the chrysalis, they need to go through the process, they need to change from the inside out. This is what God does with us. God changes us from the inside out. How? Look at what the scripture says. Be transformed. Again, this is God doing the action to us. How? By the renewal of your mind. Now, our minds need to be changed by the power of God. The Holy Spirit takes the scripture and he applies God's truth, God's revelation to our sinful thought processes, and he identifies a sinful thought. And he says, no, don't think that way. And then we either yield to what the Holy Spirit is telling us and are thus transformed, or we resist. What God is calling us to here is to experience the renewal process. Not where God takes our old sinful thoughts and shines them up and says, we'll make them better. But to where God says, no, I'm going to rip that sinful thought out and I'm going to replace it with godly thoughts. This is what God does in us. And notice I call it a transformation process. The renewal of the mind is an ongoing process that God does as a work in our lives. It's not a one and done change. Don't you wish it was sometimes? Don't you wish it was like, God, pull out this brain because it's not useful and replace it with another brain. The Bible talks about us getting a new mind. 
But listen, when we get the new mind, it doesn't mean that we have a brain transplant. What it's sharing with us is this truth. God is systematically changing our sinful thoughts and making us think in conformity with his word by transforming our minds through the renewal process that God does. Now, you can either yield to that renewal process and be excited about it and say, God, I want to change. I want to grow. I want to learn your word. I want to see you change me and transform me. Or you can resist, go through the discipline and hard knocks that it takes to resist the truth of God and suffer a defeated life. God wants to see us transformed by renewed minds. And what will be the result of that? Last part of this passage, we will resolutely live out God's word. Now, this passage of scripture tells us that when we have this renewed mind, we will, by testing, discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, what is the scripture communicating to us in this text about this type of testing and approving? When we look at the word testing in the original language, the idea is that of an assayer. You bring in a lump of ore, and you give it to the person who will assay the ore, and he determines the value of the ore, the percent of the precious metals. What I believe this text is telling us is this. When we choose to pursue by yielding to God in this transforming process, this renewal of the mind, when we yield to him, we will have greater insight into the truth of God's word. We will grow in understanding of what God says. That's so important for us to grasp. Do you want the word of God to make sense? Yield to God. Allow him to transform your mind, to renew your thinking, and as you grow in that, you will be able to test and approve the will of God. By will of God, what he's expressing is the revealed will of God. And look at how it's described. It's good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. This is the revealed will of God. And so what I do is, as I seek to yield to God's transformation process in me, I will see God change me, transform me, and I will get greater insight into the value and the worth of God's truth. Listen, if we are disobedient, there's no way we're going to gain insight into God's truth. We'll resist it. We'll ignore it. We'll move past it. God wants us to be willing participants. He wants us to resolutely live out his word. He wants us to do what it says. This morning we've seen a challenge from God's word to have a changed life by having a changed mind. And a question that I ask myself as I wrote this sermon, and full disclosure, I preached this at my church before I came here, and what I ask my church to think about is this. Are you yielding to God's transformation process or are you resisting? Are you conforming to the world? Are you really thinking about the influences of this world and how the world can 
impress upon you its thinking in such subtle ways? Or are you seeking God's word? Seeking to allow God to change you from the inside out rather than the other way around. If you want to change life, it comes from that changed mind.